I bring the learning, I don't bring the lunch. If you got in a boxing ring with Muhammad Ali, she grew her company uh, 50,000. Are you just as proud of that ball when it's in the rough? One of the things I did for the army back in 1987, I wrote. On today's episode of The Engaging Marketeer, I am speaking to an extraordinary man, uh, Marshall Townsend II, who teaches business leadership and coaching for teams and companies as a result of originally teaching tank warfare tactics to the US military. And if you're thinking, how do you go from teaching tank warfare tactics to teaching business teams, then you're going to want to listen to what Marshall's got to say. You work with businesses through the medium of golf. That well, that's one of the things I do. Is yeah. Uh, yeah so I, I have a, I have a program which I, I'm in the final stages of putting the, together called um, Leadership and Learning from the Game of Golf. Yeah. And uh, and it's based on a speech that I put together called Mark Your Ball. <laughs> uh, and. Uh, um, what a couple of years ago, uh, the first tee. If you're familiar with the first tee program, it's a uh, a junior golf program. Right. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not a big golf person. I'm. I'm trying to get into it, but I find it quite a frustrating well, thing. They have an academy every year. It's called the Joe Lewis Burroughs um, uh, Leadership Skills and Leadership Academy, and. It's named after Joe Lewis, the the boxer who then moved over and became a golfer. Mm. Uh, uh, was also a golfer, but um, that academy came to Boise, and when it came to Boise, I I was asked to be the keynote speaker for that, and um, it, so that was a great opportunity to put the right to speech. And I and I went completely overboard. Uh, you know, I wrote an hour and a half long keynote. I did a series of workshops and everything that they were going to need. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, two days before the event, they had a, like a venue change going on with different leaders had moved in. And I was told I would get uh, 20 minutes uh, <laughs> to give my speech. So, uh, so at the last moment, I had to do cut, 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 which was actually a very good thing because I, I took that. All, all that bit speech and, and brought the key points out into that short short mm -hmm. time. And then when I hit my 20-minute mark, uh, I looked around at the, the guy running the venue, and he was in the back going, keep going, keep going, don't <laughs> stop. <laughs> Which is a good sign because the audience was going, yeah, don't stop, and he was like, just keep rolling. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think I took it out to about 28 minutes. <laughs> no. But it, it was based around this, this idea that um, I'm going to silence my phone there. <laughs> Should have got that ahead of time. Um, the idea of marking your ball, yeah. which which is, uh, uh, it's, it, you know, if, if you've ever seen, you know, you're, you say you don't play golf. I, I have I have a putter right next to me here, actually. I'm just oh, about, okay. I'm just starting. Yeah. Oh, well, when you're on a golf course, that's one of the things you do is you mark your ball. But when you're on the driving range, um, that's something you never do. You, you you buy a bucket of balls and mm. you get a flat level playing mat and, and you know, flat level ground and you're going to empty your bucket of balls and you're going to leave at the end of the day. Uh, and it's the bucket's got 30 balls in it. When you get down hitting the 30 balls, you're done. Mm. And you leave. Um, and I've met a lot of people that kind of live their lives like they're on the driving range. And you think about that. They they show up, they expect, better yet, they, they demand a flat-level playing field. Um, they don't want to play on a, uneven ground. Uh, give me my bucket of balls. I'll hit my bucket of balls. And I'm going to do the minimum amount of work for the maximum amount of pay, and then I'm out the door. Um, and But I'll tell you I'm playing golf. You know, I, you know they, But I'm really playing driving range is what I do. And it's a mindset. That when we hit the ball, we never have to go pick up the ball. We never have to find the ball again. We never have to uh, mark our ball. And and the, to me, the the magic of golf is that the second you mark your ball, is you take ownership and responsibility for the ball. Yeah. And not only just for the ball, you take ownership for where it goes. And you take ownership and responsibility for where it goes, what it does, who it impacts. And where it winds up, you get all of that when you mark the ball.
not, you get none of that on the driving range. You're just firing it out on the driving range. Yeah. And so, so does that make sense to you? The kind of the, that oh, was a theme. Absolutely. I uh, break out a, a number of other thoughts and, and concepts about uh, about uh, leadership in, in life, leadership in business uh, from that. And this is something you you put together for a for a keynote. Uh, for a keynote, yes. So was it something that you were working with with clients beforehand, or something you'd always been I, aware of? Was it just for that keynote? You thought because it's a golf audience, I want to relate. Actually, it was just for that keynote. I just sat down and I started into it, and, and as soon as I like opened the doors, like all these ideas started flooding in. Hmm. Uh, and uh, and the truth is, is I have broke that out into ten different learning sessions or, or learning uh, scenarios, or and then I realized every one of those was a chapter of a book. So I'm in the process of putting this also into a book, hmm. uh, or it may just be an ebook to start out with, but it's going to be in a book. So, oh, um, fantastic! So you say the course yeah. the course isn't live yet. That launch is short. It's not live yet. Um, and uh, but the the keynote, the first part of that keynote speech, I'm getting ready to go live. Uh, start. I've been making contacts on LinkedIn, reaching out and asking people if they're interested. I'm getting a lot of feedback; they want to hear it. So I'm going to go live. And do a live event and, and start advertising that. In fact, I'm going to start doing that this week. This weekend is putting the mechanics behind that to launch that um, webinar. We'll call it a webinar. A webinar. And I, I take it off the webinar. Then you're going to be taking applications for people to join you on the on the course. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Walk through. Is that a pre? Is it going to be a pre-recorded course? Uh, no. I think. I think. Well, initially it's going to be live, and then we. I prefer to do it live. I know that I can do some pre-recorded stuff, but this one is very in- interactive. You you've got to be in there. You got to be you know with the worksheets as I put them together, mm. and so I prefer to do them live on this one. Um, yeah, I, I do actually much prefer live as well. We have pre-recorded stuff, and it it's okay. But the the live stuff for me, it's 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 seeing the reaction of people, particularly when it's live in the room as opposed to live online. Mm. Oh, it, it takes me back to that night when I was talking to the youth. So I had a hundred kids in the room, all all teenagers, all really good golfers, who had in fact flown into Boise that day. They came in, and it was in the evening. They just ate dinner. Uh, even it was up in the what's called the Stuky Skybox uh, <laughs> of the Boise uh, State's uh, football stadium. And if you're familiar, boys, you're probably not, but we have a blue football field. Right. Yeah. yeah. So up in the stadium above the blue football field. So these kids are worn out. They've been flying all day and they were all engaged. And everybody, including their coaches, were engaged in that magic. Uh, uh, in fact, that's one of the topics I, I talk about is the magic of being live. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's it goes back to the difference between driving range and the golf courses. When you're on the driving range, you know you're never going to play that ball. So there there's a difference. I do talk about practice using mm-hmm. driving range for practice, but there's a lot of people that play driving range only, and they're never live. It's always a practice shot. It's all is they never they never have to really play that ball, which is a big difference. That once you get out of the course, you're live. And and it changes everything when mm. you're live. Yeah, you it, you can't really recreate that pressure Mm-mm. on the driving range, can you? It's a similar thing in in our sport in in football, what you would call soccer. We've got this thing of a, of a penalty shootout, which I think you have in ice hockey as well. Okay, if, yeah. if it's level, they have a penalty shootout, and you can practice taking penalties, but you can never practice that pressure of walking from the halfway line all the way up to the goal. Mm-hmm. Putting the ball on the spot and taking the penalty when it actually matters—it's just something you cannot practice that pressure. Yeah, imagine doing that when, and no, there's no fans. And okay, you can do it. You can mentally try, try to do that, but there are no fans in the stadium. There are no. There's no other team. There's no. The pressure's not on you because mm. uh, you're not live. And and yes, you can do. And that's why I talk about when in the practice model is is learning how to recreate Think about recreating those events on the driving range, but you're still not live. Mm. So this this course that you put together then is this predominantly, I presume, is is aimed at golfers. Well, I, I 
oddly enough, is I actually took this speech and then presented it to uh, 400 leaders at an uh, Air Force, an active duty Air Force base out in Wyoming. They flew me out there. I was the keynote for that. And I got my 90 minutes. Um, <laughs> Eventually. <laughs> yes. Uh, but I was on stage and I presented it to those leaders and I was uh, I got a lot of great feedback. I mean, they really loved it. They were they were all in for it. And and although it was a golf theme, they, they immediately absorbed the, the connection between leadership and what the lessons being learned. Uh, and unfortunately, that was that was at the end of February two years ago. And as I got on a plane and flew back, it was like I got off the plane and COVID shut everything down. You know, they were they were boarding at the airport when I got off the airplane. And so all the keynotes that were set up after that were all canceled. <laughs> so what, well, so it's, it's like, okay, it's time to get this back out there and start start talking about it. Yeah. Um, so how, how did your business react to that? Because your, your business pretty much is speaking to people, isn't it? Yes, it is. So how, um, how did it affect, uh, how did COVID actually affect that? And what did you oh, do? Oh, it, 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 it shut down all my live events. I immediately pivoted over to, because uh, I was already using Zoom. Oddly, I, I was one of the people that had been using Zoom. So I ended up teaching a lot of classes online on how to use Zoom. <laughs> uh, but uh, the numbers of people in the room type type things went obviously way down. The ability to fill, fill uh, um, I've come a long way since then in terms of marketing myself, like on LinkedIn and other platforms. Um, but... Uh, at that time, um, so my my volume of people in the room dropped. Hmm. So you you mentioned you're doing loads of loads of keynote talks. As somebody myself, I I try to do lots of speaking wherever I can. How are you getting invited to do these these kind of talks? What what sort of background do you have that means people are coming to you and saying, "Come and do a talk at an Air Force base"? Well, uh, that one came through uh, the John Maxwell team. Uh, we had met uh, at a John Maxwell event. In, in early February of uh, that, that same year. So he was in the Air Force, the one, and he was in charge of uh, uh, this type of thing, venues for that Air Force base, was bringing in keynotes, speakers. So it was a, a perfect matchup. And so he booked me right away, and then I, I flew out at the end of the month. Uh, so that one was, was through the John Maxwell team. The other ones have been through BNI, where I go in and, work, and I talk at cor corporates who are having – um, if that's not a lunch and learn type event, uh, where they are, they're bringing in guest speakers or once a quarter or once a month, those type of venues to, to come into. Hmm. So, okay. yeah. um, and, and I do lunch and learns, but I got to make sure everybody understands this is, is I bring the learning. I don't bring the lunch. Okay. <laughs> sure. I make sure everybody write that down. I don't bring lunch. <laughs> So you're not bringing some sandwiches and some crisps? No, 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 I'm not showing up with pizzas and, hey, Marshall's here with food. <laughs> no, I'm bringing in the learning. <laughs> you bring the lunch. Yeah, we provide the lunch. Um, so obviously this, this golf thing came about as a result of doing the keynote, but mm -hmm. you've been working with business leaders before that. What sort of stuff were you doing before the, the golf idea came around? Well, that's, in, in the golf idea, we'll, we'll step aside here. Back in 2000, I... Uh, I invented a golf swing trainer um, called the Golfer's Footprint, uh, and it, um, it was, it's a patented swing trainer, and it was put into the market. So during the early uh, 2000s, I was out at the PGA show. I was doing charity events. I was doing a program called Teens on the Greens. I worked with some of the first tee program way back at that time, uh, and... And so I was already familiar with a lot of the people in that golf, the golf industry side. And I had done events down in California, Arizona, all, all across the country. Uh, but I was not speaking. I was there as a, as a sponsor type thing for those right. events. Yeah. Um, but my full-time job throughout this, that was, that was my hobby job, um, was I had 20 years active duty military. And in 1999, uh, I retired from the, the Army, the United States Army, after 20 years, and was asked to come back and be a coach, teach, and mentor for the Army National Guard. So as a civilian role, 
I, I went back in and started coaching the senior leaders of the Army National Guard. And then from 1999 to 2015, that's what I did. Um, in fact, uh, I had put in my resignation. I, I had that started in uh, 1999. I invented the golfer's footprint in 2000. I saw that I, I had an opportunity to really want to do something there. So I dropped my papers to resign from that coaching job on 1 September 2001. And 9-11 happened mm. right 10 days later. And I pulled my resignation papers back and I stayed coaching uh, military leaders till 2015. So the, the golfer's footprint became a hobby that was kind of on the side. Um, and and how, I, did, how did the golfer's footprint take off? Uh, well, it, it did well. In fact, uh, it, it's been on the, at the Masters, it's been at the Open uh, and the U.S. Open, um, Senior Open, Sandy Lyle, uh, you know, Master and Open winner, uh, used it on the Golf Channel uh, to teach lessons one night. I got a call from the Golf Channel saying, hey, you should probably tune in to watch this show. And I was like, why? Well, and I didn't even know he had it. His caddy had got it for him yeah. and bought it. And he here he is on the Golf Channel um, showing how the hit draws and fades and stuff. Because that's what it was designed about. It was designed to, to create a visual image. A hitting, it's a hitting board. To create a visual image so you could learn how to hit a draw and a fade so that you could learn how to hit a straight. If you can learn to control the ball, then a straight shot is a, is a controlled shot in the game of golf. Because hmm. uh, you know you're playing a round ball and a crooked stick, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you got to control it. It straight just doesn't happen. You got to make that happen. Yeah. So if you learn the the mechanics of ball flight, uh, and and then so getting that product made all became like a side you know side hustle, um, but it, it was very difficult with with the fact that I was training full-time people going to Iraq, going to Afghanistan uh, all through those years. So my I was flying around the country at that time, also speaking hmm. you know, on leadership, on decision-making, um, team-building type things, uh, in, tac in Army tactics. So I, w I became accustomed to being flown in and, and speaking. Um, hmm. That's 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 quite a um, quite a coup, isn't it, Sandy Lyle using it? Because normally you would you'd have to pay a golfer to endorse a product yes. like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so what what you know, go go ahead, go ahead. you know, guys like I'm I'm name dropping here right yeah, now. You, you, know, you you drop uh, those names, it's fine. You throw them out. So yeah, one of the PGA show we were on the driving range there, and I had my trainer and, and Butch Harmon came along and was hitting off of it. And he was like really liking it. And I was like, well, what would I take for you to endorse me, endorse this? <laughs> he says, you probably can't afford me. <laughs> and I said, you're probably right. You're probably right. <laughs> so what, what made you want to do public speaking and training? What made you want to actually to help people? Well, I, I think it comes back to the fact that I was accustomed to flying around. And when I was teaching, I wrote all my own content. Um, one of the things I did for the Army back in 1987, I wrote a, a tactics manual for the Army. When I was, as an armor officer, uh, I, I was given the challenge of writing this manual for the, for the Army. So I, I wrote it, put it together, and then from then I took that content and started using it and teaching it because I had read, because, because I had written this. Uh, I was engaged with it, so I could speak on it. Mm. Uh, that manual, in fact, still in use today wow. for for tank warfare. Um, it was called the Mission Training Plan. It was, so I designed all the all the different training events and what's called situational training events for tank platoons. Um, and then I used that content. And then I was throughout my time in the military was always teaching stuff that I wrote. And not just so I, you know, I had the manual, so I was teaching my manual, but I developed my own classes. So when I stepped out and went into business, I took the same idea, kind of like what I did with Mark Your Ball, how how to take a basic idea, break it down, and then create a teaching lessons from it. Hmm. I, I I have to ask, how do you go about creating training manuals for for tanks and tank operations? 
Well, <laughs> I'm, looking, uh, I'm looking around. I, I, uh, so what, what you did is I start with, uh, it, goes, it goes back to Germany. When I went to Germany, when I was assigned in 1979, I arrived in Germany on uh, December 23rd, uh, 1979. That was my first night. I flew into Germany, brand new second lieutenant, reporting to my unit, don't know anything that's going on. And that night, um, the Russians invade Afghanistan uh, on the, the 24th of December, uh, just before Christmas there. And, and we go on alert. The military went on alert. And it, this was the first real alert. There was a Russian general who said that this was the closest time we had gone to war with Russia and the United States since the Bay of Pigs. Mm. Uh, in 1962, 60, uh, 62. Uh, so this was a big night. The American forces all jumped up, mobilized, moved off post, moved out to the staging area. And when I got out to the staging area, I realized there, there was not a clear uh, task, uh, 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 task condition standard for what we were doing. And it's because we had never done it before. We had never taken the tanks and all moved off to the trip you know, all to the staging areas in preparation for war for a long time. And I started kind of taking notes at that time of what we didn't know, what what, what we didn't know what we need to do. And then I developed it, that even as a second lieutenant, I put the, I dug it in the manuals we had then and started writing down tasks, you know, how to do a road march, how to do an assembly area, how to do actions on contact, how to do, um, you know, an attack, a defense. Those types of things. So I had put together as a lieutenant, uh, kind of like a, it was run on a mimeograph machine. Remember a mimeograph machine? Hmm. You're where you crank it out. So I had made copies of that and, and handed it out to everybody. And that uh, was put my mind into a process of thinking, of how do I take a task and break it down into you know the subtasks that need to be done? And then when I was at the armor school at Fort Knox, Kentucky in the, in the mid eighties is when I got asked to put this manual together, put that together. So again, it was sitting down and, and getting the opportunity to talk to some key, some leaders and, and some, and some strange sources of, 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 uh, of uh, information is I, I got to have dinner with a, an Egyptian major who had lost his entire company in, in uh, the 73 war to the Israelis uh, in, the, in the Sinai there. And then I got to talk to a Jordanian officer who had lost his own, been shot out of his own tank uh, up near the Golan Heights side. Uh, so I, I brought these people together and said, tell me what was going on. Walk me through what, what happened, you know, et cetera. And then started taking lessons learned from those things and, and incorporating it into the doctrine. So then I, I wrote that book. So, wow. <laughs> and, and then from there, so that just became a lifelong journey is that I would take things and break it down. It's like, yeah. uh, so example, the, the driving range, uh, the other, the other thing about the game of golf is, okay, why do you mark your ball? Why, why do you mark your ball? Um, and so you're, when you're playing in a foursome and you all four hit into the fairway, um, and you've marked your ball, you can tell which one's the best ball, Where, you know, who, which one, so you don't end up playing each other's ball. Make sense? Yeah. And then I, I know that my ball is going to be the best ball. My ball is going to be 10 yards further than anybody else's, so I don't want anybody to accidentally play my ball. <laughs> uh, so, in fact, I, when I get up there, I'm really excited. When I see my ball is the best ball of a group of four, I'm getting real excited about that. And, and I want to be seen playing that ball. I want everybody to see that that's my ball. And that's why I mark it. But then I asked when I was talking about this with the kids, I asked them, it's very exciting when the ball is on the fairway and it's your ball and it's marked and it looks great and you're looking great. But what if that ball's in hazard? What if that ball's in the rough? What if that ball went in the water and it's got your mark on it? Are you just as proud of that ball when it's in the rough when it's in the fairway. See, it's easy to be proud of a ball when it's in the fairway. It's very hard to be proud of that ball or that shot when it's in the rough. Mm. In fact, many people want to hide. They don't want to be seen. And, and they start asking themselves, well, maybe I shouldn't mark my ball until after I get a good shot. 
you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll only claim my ball if it's a good shot. And it's, uh, that's that's not how it is. That's not how life is. You don't get to mark the ball after you hit it. You hit it and mark it before, and then you play it where it lies. Um, and that mentality of, of being in, stuck in the rough uh, and going, eh, you know, that's that old uh, Three Stooges bit where – the ball they can't you know they can't find their ball but they got one in their pocket that they drop yeah. in the fairway uh down their pant leg you know wherever the skit was it comes out their pant leg and oh there it is right there in the fairway <laughs> <laughs> uh it doesn't work it, so you got to be willing it, once you mark the ball be willing to take the good and the bad with it oh i see i seem to remember sean connery doing that in goldfinger as well Oh, probably so. I he, think when he was so, playing golf right. with uh, with Goldfinger, but yeah. but he he deliberately did it with a different ball, so that he could yes. give Goldfinger his ball, so that when Bond lost, he could show Goldfinger actually you played the wrong ball, therefore that's, you you forfeited the match. That's right. That's right. I remember now. <laughs> yeah, because Goldfinger did mark his ball, but Bond switched it. He didn't check it. So. Mm. When you were when you were back in the army and you were training and it was in September and you had obviously handed in your notice and then retracted it, what were you teaching uh, soldiers on back then? Uh, that was so I was I was um, going, I'm trying not to go way down the rabbit hole on this, but <laughs> one of the things I got to do is I got to go to the National Training Center when I was in active duty. I was out at the National Training Center, and I was one of the trainers. Uh, it's out in Barstow, California. It's out in the Mojave Deserts. It's, it's probably the most harsh training environment in the world. Um, but it's, it's probably one of the, the best, it's clearly the best training there. So being being brought in as one of the trainers there was was a, was a real feather in my cap uh, to be able to do that. Uh, but I was there on stage speaking, and I was talking about leadership, and I was talking about how you structure training. And the adjutant general from the state of Idaho, who's a two-star general, was sitting in the back of the room, heard me speaking uh, on this this how you develop training, how you how you. Uh, set the conditions for learning in the training. And he came right up on stage and asked me to, uh, if I would consider being reassigned to Idaho to start training the National Guard. And and I told him I'd be honored to do that. And the next morning I had orders going to uh, Idaho. <laughs> you know, overnight he made a phone call and, and I got reassigned up to Idaho. So I came to Idaho and I started teaching leadership uh, also, how to break down your training and how to structure your training, and I taught tactics, uh, small unit tactics for tank warfare. And at the end, of, I was here for three years, uh, and at the end of that time, I was getting ready to ship to Korea, and he came back around and said, would I consider retiring and staying? They don't want me to go. Uh, and he would create this job for me where I would stay and become, as a civilian, a coach-teach mentor for them. So they basically created the job around me, and and I retired from the military. It was 1999. Nothing was going to happen, um, you know. And uh, I I started this job, and then like you say, then uh, on the side I invented the golfer's footprint. We had that little thing just before 9/11, and then that after 9/11, I I was all in on on training soldiers. So they. They started taking what I was doing, replicating it around the country, and I was flown around the country to train other units as they they mobilized. Mm. You know? I, so it was the focus of that was the leadership, first of all, but also how leaders break down the training and lead the training, organize their training, um, and create learning opportunities in the training. Yeah. I, I imagine the fact that you've of taught soldiers and you have taught tank tactics tank warfare tactics means that when you come to a business or a business is recommended to you and they learn what you've done it gives you massive credibility with that business that you really know what you're talking about in terms of in terms of teaching leaders mm-hmm. well at least i hope so i hope <laughs> that they recognize the fact that after the 20 years of active duty and another 15 16 as as a trainer of that 
and, and as a coach during that time too. I was also the primary coach, ending up coaching all the senior leaders on, uh, and I had a team of 50 guys working for me that provided coaching and training support to the entire West Coast, United States. Um, that through that, uh, I absorbed some of the principles <laughs> that I could bring to them to in the terms of through coaching, uh, how to improve their business, how to do per engagement with their customers, with their with their employees, uh, how to build teams. And, and that's what I bring to the stage when, when I'm speaking. How, how do businesses react to that or, or more likely their their teams react to that when you come in? Because if this was in the UK, I imagine there'd be a lot of people, somebody like you came in, they'd be scared. Quite frankly, they'd be worried about what you were going to do with them. But I know well, America's well, I, got a different know, I, attitude, doesn't it? One of the key things I did is I think I had the luxury of, of taking my dirty boots off. When I retired in 1999, I took my boots off and I stepped out and became the civilian contractor. But I, so I allowed my personality to come with that, but I left the uniform behind. So for 15 years, I kept the, kept the uniform off and, and, and using the coaching model by learning to ask questions, be able to do insights and not telling people what to do, but learning from them what they want to do and then learning how to coach them to achieve their goal. Uh, I, I stopped being, a, I was not an authoritarian. Uh, yeah, to the best way to describe it. I didn't come in as a military guy. Mm. Uh, but they uh, they saw and recognized the fact that I had the experience. So when I was asking the questions, they were willing to dive deep to answer for me, maybe because of my, my prior position. Um, but, at the, but at the same time, they were willing to do the work to dive deep to be able to solve those questions I was asking. And... That I think was the connection. So when I go out in the business world, I hope they at least respect that that I that I have some experience. So I'm not just asking random questions. I'm asking a, a question that I want them to deep, dive, dive deep into the solve for them, mm. and that could be in how they're they're doing their uh, their marketing, how they're doing their their messaging, how are they finding their their perfect future customer, um, how are they engaging with them, and those type of questions, and, and then on. Uh, the other side of that is how 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 are you set up to receive income? <laughs> you know what's your pipeline to keep people in your pipeline, and how how are you investing in your company, in your organization, uh, and your your products, and then in your dreams? How are you investing in your dreams? Mm -hmm. So those are some of the questions I'm going to bring to the table with them, um, to um, make kind of a you know a 360 on their company, do a deep as a coach. Hmm. Uh, and then from the stage, uh, I'm going to always be creating classes uh, um, to uh, to challenge them to to think, to be thinking about different aspects of their business. So, and what what sort of businesses are you are you working with? What kind of companies are you helping? I, I've been working uh, over the last couple of years, especially during COVID. I, I went to more s local companies. So we, I ended up working with some solopreneurs, small businesses, um, small small companies, three to five employees type companies. Uh, some were just like, say, solopreneurs. A lot of BNI members where I work, came in and worked with B. And then I was also doing, I've been doing some on uh, coaching over Zoom. Uh, working with people, I, I have a, a person in Estonia that I work work with uh, every other week, and uh, and I have people all around the country now that where we have a Zoom meeting to do their coaching with them. Um, but locally, so now uh, I'm more I'm working more to get up to uh, larger corporations mm -hmm. and and work with them. So I could come in, I can work with the CEO, the the key members of the staff, but also I like to work with sales teams that uh, that need to work on just engagement with customers, with clients, uh, how they go through the process. Uh, and those are good good clients for me. Mm. And what, what sort of successes have you had? What um, sort of transformations or success stories have you been able to achieve? Oh, wait, it's, I, you know, I, I, lo I love that part. That's a, um, I'll just take one. That is, we just said this last week, we did the books where we said, okay, let's sit down. 
walk me through everything that you have been doing. You've been working with me since November last year. We're all the way to August. Let's let's take a snapshot, you know, a snapshot of of what we got. And she realized that she is, and she's just a solopreneur type company. She's up uh, fifty to sixty thousand dollars over what she was doing the year before, and. And all of it's just based on not not what I did, what I had done, but what she did based on me asking questions and me asking uh, for her to become intentional about things. She did all the work, but she grew her company uh, 50000 as a solopreneur in that time. Uh, and that's a small local business. Uh, so that's that's to me was a big success story when I see that mm. and see the light come on when she starts adding her numbers up and uh, one convincing her that she needs to add her numbers up not every quarter but every month mm. you know not every once in a while you need to be doing this and paying attention to it because this is how you you test to see what's right and what wrong what's working what's not working yeah. but anyway the end result that was a good one uh, that was a good feeling this week and, and a win. Um, and then I've worked with other companies, very similar effect that the number of customers they're seeing has totally increased, uh, their, their time that they feel at the same time, they've increased their customers engagement, the time they are in the workplace, uh, they're not working extra hours. They're working the same amount of hours they were before. They're just getting a lot more done. Mm. That's where we're So the productivity is improved. Mm-hmm. It's interesting what you said about not not adding the numbers up. We we see that a lot because we we yeah. help we help companies with marketing and they're not measuring, they're not measuring yeah. where their business is coming from, uh, how they're converting it. It's the same in B and I as well. It's important to measure what people have been to training, what people have had one to ones, what referrals they're passing. That's why B and I has the whole in, traffic in light system. What what is the what is the chapter doing? My chapters almost up to a million dollars this year. Hmm. Although the, the year tra- is going to end at the end of September. We're not going to make, I think we're at 88, uh, uh, 880,000 right now in our chapter. So we're going to fall short of our million dollar mark, <laughs> but we we've been paying attention to that. We, you know, yeah. that's what BNI does for us. Is yeah. We keep track of that engagement. Um, and, and, uh, a lot, and I'm always surprised at that. But I've also seen that in myself is, you know, sit around and go, oh, what, what did I do last month? You know, <laughs> and, you know, get, get over, we get overwhelmed and we forget. But that's like you just said it in marketing. You've got to know you, you, you've got to know what is bringing in success. Hmm. Uh, and, and, and what isn't and what isn't is the most important thing as well. So you can stop wasting money on it. Yeah, so marketing is is testing in reality. Mm. You just got to constantly test. And if that's simple things, is is you put up the, a landing page. You got two landing pages up. One's got a yellow button that says sign up here. And one's got a red button that says sign up here. And you send people to you know different sources come to the page, and you can sit back and go, why did the yellow button get sixty percent more people <laughs> clicked on it? And you know, the red buttons, you know, scared people off, but the yellow button was warming and people clicked it. <laughs> so those are things that you got to understand about marketing is that you just don't put it out there and leave it. You've got to test it all constantly. Yeah. And you know this, I, but oh, I've learned yeah. it for people like you who have yeah. taught me these things. So. I'm, I'm continually speaking to, to potential clients. I spoke to one this week who, funnily enough, um, they're in golf. It's mm-hmm. like how many people are coming to your website? How many people are booking through the website? We don't know. Mm. We don't look. We have no idea. We haven't got tracking on the website. Ah, that's going to be difficult then. Because um, they just don't do it. Loads of people just don't do it. And it is a mystery to me why they don't do it. I mean, you have to measure everything so that you know what works and what doesn't work. Because you can't improve it if you're not actually tracking it. So speaking of measuring and, and, and tracking, how is BNI working for you in your business? I mean, it's been, uh, it, I've been in BNI six years now, and uh, it's, uh, um, it's one of these things is I came out from the military. Uh, when I, so when I stepped out of those 20 years, 15 years, and I stepped over and I started my coaching business because I wanted to bring value to the local businesses, because uh, it was time. It was time to do that transition. I knew nothing about local business. 
I had no contacts in the local area of Boise, the Treasure Valley here. I, I really didn't know anybody. All I knew was military people. So I came out. Uh, that's when I joined the John Maxwell team. Went back uh, that year. It was in August. I went back to my first event. And the keynote speaker at the John Maxwell event was this guy named Dr. Ivan Meisner. Mm. And he's on stage talking about BNI. And I'm like, uh, I, I, that really sounds interesting. You know, I, I like that. I, I, I'll tell you what, I get a chance to talk to him. I'm going to ask him about that. <laughs> so here's an important thing. When you meet big people, successful people, have good questions, mm. right? Now, have good questions from a good question. Uh, a, a not a good question for Dr. Ivan Meiser is, how do I find out about BNI? <laughs> yeah. Okay, that was my question. I'm sorry. That was the only thing I had. And he looks at me and goes, uh, look it up on the website. You know, how do I find a chapter? Go to your local platform. So yeah. I came back and looked. Uh, and there was like 15 chapters in, in my immediate area. And it was, oh, oh, now, now I understand. So I went, started going to BNI chapters, got in, got in, accepted into the one. And and then that became just 80% of my business comes out of BNI. Um, oh. So, yeah, so I went from ground zero of having no context, nobody to reach out to, nobody, no, no idea where I was going to find a customer to suddenly sitting in rooms with 20, 30 people who were all business, who were all perfect future customers for me. Mm. Uh, and I could go around to each one of those chapters and visit and meet those people. So immediately it was take, took me from ground zero, boom, right up, uh, launched myself. Mm. Is, are you, are you technically a, a business coach in the chapter or have you got a different category? Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's, a, that's my focus. That's your focus. Coach. Excellent. So what, but what? I, but so, but I, I coach, I teach, I speak, yeah. I do mastermind workshops, I do facilitate leadership game, uh, some other things, but I coach, I teach, I speak is mm. what, what I announce myself as. You see, I, I'd really like to get a business coach into our group because mm. as digital marketing, a business coach, I think would be a really good, good synergy. Oh, yeah. So who's giving you, what sort of categories are giving you the best referrals in your, your group or in other groups perhaps? Oh, in fact, we have a marketing person in our group. Uh, and then a CPA in my group is a very good. What's the CPA? Uh, a CPA is a, uh, a certified public accountant. Ah, right. Yeah. Does bookkeeping, does uh, um, your taxes. Hmm. He's the guy that sees companies that are in trouble hmm. or who, 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 are, who don't have a direction because uh, he's not just a tax guy. He's actually a C, uh, an accountant who provide services to it. So throughout the year, he constantly can send me people that kind of like, here's a referral, Just go talk to this person, mm. uh, if that makes sense. And absolutely, absolutely, yeah. So we kind of, we work that power team concept. Yeah. Uh, I've got, got the marketing person, uh, and then I refer to the marketer, and I refer to the CPA, because that's one of the things I'm going to ask uh, somebody who I sit with is, who is your accountant? Mm. Uh, who's your mm. banker? You know, do you do you have a teller or do you have a banker? There's two different things between the same with a CPA. Do you have someone who does your taxes or do you have somebody that helps you do your bookkeeping mm-hmm. and keep you on track throughout the year? There's, there's two different entities. Yeah. No, and, that's, and, and the same with marketing. Do you have somebody who builds web pages mm-hmm. or do you have somebody who's a marketer? There's two different things. A marketer is a complete different skill set and i build web pages mm. you know yeah <laughs> and, and, you know i'm i'm uh, my 15 year old kid b- builds web pages for people so yeah uh, now that's great but they they don't know marketing yeah that why well, i usually ask people uh, how much business are you getting through your your website and the answer is usually nothing i don't i don't know nothing no. and then and the, so i I was going to say, and then the the guy that's built your website for you, what, what does he do for you on a monthly basis? Usually, again, it's nothing. And even when they want something amended on the website, they can't get hold of him or her because they're not interested in doing anything. And that, to me, is just somebody's built a website. That's it. They've washed their hands of it. They've gone. They've left you on your own. You're not getting any business through it. Obviously, you're not. It's not being marketed. 
And like you said, with, with accountants as well, I speak to a lot of businesses that are new within their first couple of years, maybe, and they've no idea because they don't want to pay for an accountant. They see it as an expense. They see it as money they're going to pay out. They've no idea what they can actually claim for. Mm-hmm. So that I, I knew there was one person I won't name them who didn't know they could claim for their personal phone, their mobile phone, didn't their cell phone uh, for in, in the US, and they didn't know that they could claim for mileage when they're driving around to have meetings with clients. Not a clue. So they're paying tax on all of this that they really should be claiming back because they didn't want to pay a little bit of money for an accountant, which would have saved them mm-hmm. so much in the long run. It's a false economy. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, simple things is like, well, how did you structure your business when you, when you started up? Uh, you know, well, I read a book and I, I, I made an LLC or I just, I just did this. I took, I had no idea what I was doing. So you, you created a company, but you had no idea what the tax implications of that and what, and what you could take advantage of, uh, et cetera. So those are some of the things that we talk. And then it goes back to marketing. I don't do the marketing. I ask the question. And I was, you just said the quite the biggest one is how many people came to your website? How, how was, and how are you engaging those? Mm-hmm. What is the process to engage with them and follow up with them? Uh, when you send out an email, um, how many people open the email? Do you, do you have a, is there a tracker on that? Is, and then how many move to the next level um, so that you can see what, what was the open rate on that email? Um, and, and then, uh, and then we're on social media, when you're posting, are you getting any contact? Are you getting any, you know, interaction other than family and friends? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, you know, um, you know, I, I love it when my brother likes my posts. I, 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 it's like, <laughs> hey, hey, you know, but I prefer to have, you know, a hundred other people, yeah. a couple hundred other people besides my brother. Uh, at least he's helping. At least he's helping. He's helping. Yes, he's helping. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, but they, but they don't they, they don't have those answers, and no. uh, and that's where it's like. And so I will ask those questions, and then we'll, we'll come to that point: is that you you don't have any tools to do this, and and the, your provider is not providing you any tools. I have a referral for you. I have somebody who can help you mm. uh, move. Let's, let's let if you want. This is entirely up to you. But there's an option uh, that you should have somebody, and here's somebody by referral that can set this up for you. So you can get these numbers because mm. um, so we can test. We can we can test and and uh, and see whether your marketing and your engagement is bringing in customers, bringing them in the door. Mm. I always like it when I speak to people like you who are doing things the right way. It's it's always good. <laughs> it's good to know there's people out there doing this. That's that's brilliant. Well, one one of the things for my my classes back in my tactics day, uh, uh, I it was the class it was nicknamed this. It was it was really just small unit tactics actions on contact with tank warfare. The question was how big is a BMP? Um, a BMP is a uh, Russian uh, troop transport, right? right? And, uh, and the question was for the military was when you mark it on the map, how do you mark it? And it normally is you get a spot report. We saw one here and they put a little mark on the map, a little dot or a pin on the map and say, uh, that's where the enemy vehicle is. And I go, that's not where the enemy vehicle is. It says, if you got in a boxing ring with Muhammad Ali, mm. where is Muhammad Ali? Is he where he's standing or is he where his fists are? You know, you want to know how, what his reach was. That was his number one killer is they didn't understand that he could hit you from 10 feet away <laughs> because he would take one step and boom, nail you. And you're like, where'd that come from? So if you don't understand how the standoff of that weapon, that, that weapon system can shoot five kilometers right, and create a bubble around it. So when you mark it on the map, you would put a pin there and draw a five-kilometer circle around it and say, that's where that vehicle is at. Now, how many friendly vehicles are inside the circle? Mm. All right. uh, that was the approach. It's the same way with business. Is okay, your message, how big is your message? What is the reach of your message? How far is it? Is it and, and who's inside the bubble in your message? Uh, and who are you? Re- you know, who, who can you reach? And 
And you kind of think about that. When I put that message out, it's just not a dot on the map. It's not today's post. It's what is the reach you're, you're getting with that? Uh, because that's going to be able to, your, your, your ability to shape the, I'm going military. Your yeah. ability to shape the battlefield is going to be based on the, the ability to shape the business world you're in is based on have that reach that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, so you want to keep expanding that reach uh, all the time. Does that make any sense? It, I, I just... it makes absolutely perfect. And to be honest, it's it's fascinating to listen to. I can see why you're being so successful in what you do because you're, the way you're applying the military aspect to the business aspect, it it is fascinating and it it's totally fits perfectly as well it makes yeah. absolute sense i could listen to this all day but unfortunately we are we are running out running out of time now unfortunately so as a as a final question to to ask you um if somebody wants to get in touch with you either for keynote speaking or for working with you with your 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 training programs or for the for the golf training what's the best way for someone to reach out to you well, my, I'm on all the platforms. My, my company's name is MT2 Leadership. And it's because my Marshall Townsend II Leadership. So MT2 Leadership. Uh, you could go to my page and you can uh, reach me through my page, uh, mt2leadership.com. Um, and, and then uh, if by going in there, you can get on my, uh, my email list. And then I, through that, I'm reaching out to everybody and letting them know if if I'm not posting on social media, what the events are that, that I'm doing, um, it's uh, you can get on my email list and get get informed when I'm launching my next platform, my next my next class that's coming up. If that's a mastermind, but also when I'm going to launch this golfers uh, the mark your ball event. So excellent, and I'll put any links for your your website and your your social media. I'll cool. put them below the podcast as well. So anybody listening to this or watching this on YouTube now, the links are right below. So you can click on them and you can follow Marshall or get in touch with Marshall oh. that way. All right. and, and I'll give you, I'll give you one last thought from my Mark Your Ball class is that uh, in the game of life and as in the game of golf, you've got to love the game more than the scorecard. That's, that's important is mm. stop worrying about your score. Uh, enjoy the game, have fun. <laughs> Play from the heart. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Thank you very much, Marshall. It's been an absolute pleasure listening to you. Um, I've, I've learned a lot, and I hope everybody else has listened to this as well. Well, I, there's a lot of random thoughts thrown out there today, so <laughs> I hope that, hope it met where it worked. Oh, I think it was fun. And thank, thank you for having me on. My, my God, Darren, it was just absolutely uh, awesome to be able to be on your show. All right, thank you. Absolute pleasure.